What's up, citizens of Apologia? This is King Ginger, and I just wanted to take a moment to encourage you all to sign up for Apologia All Access. When you sign up for Apologia All Access, you're going to get exclusive on-demand content. This means that you and your entire family are going to get to watch every single TV show, every single after show, and every single Apologia Academy with new content dropping every single week. But most importantly, your contribution helps Apologia Studios create quality, Christ-centered entertainment that reaches millions of people on our YouTube channels and through our podcast with the gospel. So what are you waiting for? Change everything at ApologiaRadio.com. Non-rockabotus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. (laughs) She hung up on me. What? 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 Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go into the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. I got got a bit of a jiggle neck. (laughs) That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when they're not. Take an amazing journey to a place that will blow your mind and move your heart so you will never be the same again. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Gospel Heard Around the World, Apology Radio. Back again, coming at you guys from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Jeff. They call me the Ninja. That's Luke the Bear. What it is. Joy the Girl. Hello. Marcus, King Ginger Pittman. What's up, man? On the ones and twos. And, of course, we have Zach Attack to my left. Hey, y'all. Hey, welcome back, y'all. A lot of stuff happening in the world. Just got back this past weekend from Moscow, Idaho, which was actually a cool experience. The uh, greatest experience. That's an understatement. Always it's is. the greatest experience. I don't want to hear why Marcus was happy. Well, because because he was surrounded by all Presby's? Yeah. All Presbyterians? Bill USA. It is. It is. I loved it. It was awesome. So I got to speak at a conference. We actually have some of those messages up for you guys. I'm sure about the time you watch this. A couple of them are up. Uh, from the conference, Missions Conference, uh, Christ Church's annual mis- Missions Conference. I spoke on the gospel and social media. Doug spoke on... Oh, was the title of his message? It was Something awesome. The gospel, maybe. In it was. Social uh, media it was like it was like the premise was like why it's okay to use these tools. They're right. not inherently sinful. And he was explaining like how we ought to view using what them as Christians. Say, uh, that was the title of it. Yeah, that was that's like the, very, very, that's a very Puritan title. Very Puritan title. <laughs> yeah. So what do you say? Grateful uh, suspicion. Yeah, grateful suspicion. Use the internet with grateful suspicion. Loved it because uh, you not know suspicion you, of the internet. Suspicion of your, of your own, own heart. heart. Of your own heart. That whole th- that whole That's conversation we had was, was just the title. The title. Okay. Yes, <laughs> excellent. And then it I did like I did sentences. one on uh, the gospel gidgets and gasmos. Gidgets? No, gidgets and gasmos. <laughs> he was practicing. He was practicing. Was practicing. He was like gasmos and gidgets, and I was like, did you just say gasmos and gidgets? That, that's right, though. Yeah, gasmos and gidgets. Yeah, no, it's gizmos, gizmos and gadgets. Gizmos and gadgets. Yeah. Okay, I was forgetting. See, that's the thing is I keep forgetting like what Come it on, actually bro. is. I was saying it wrong, and I was like, I got to make sure I don't say it wrong in the message itself. 
So uh, check it out, guys. We got to go to the Wilson's famous Sa- Sabbath dinner. Um, Saturday evenings, yes, they have their entire did. family over, and they all eat together, and they do worship together, and they just sit and they chat. We got to sit in the living room with uh, Ben Merkel and his wife, Rebecca. Rebecca. And um, we got to, I, I'm, I'm, the names are going to be, got, of course, Nate Doug, Wilson, Doug and Nancy, Nate. Nate and his wife, Heather, Heather, Heather and then um, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel and Luke. Luke. Okay, Think yeah, so it. Um, it was it was just, just and such Jim, a gym. And Jim. Oh, yeah, and Jim Jim Wilson, yeah, uh, Doug's dad. He's like a like a hero. Right. Uh, Luke, awesome. Luke and I were talking, um, I think all of us were talking about the fact that you have a man like Doug Wilson's dad that most of you probably don't even know about, Jim yep. Wilson. And you don't realize that this legend. man's a hero of the faith. He's like a legend. And uh, he went to Moscow for a reason when he got there. It was like the Idaho was like, university was like number one party school in the nation. In this town, Moscow, Idaho, this little, this small town was like filled with gay bars and clubs and things like that. And now because of his influence and his work there, and of course, Doug in the church, Christ Church, like this town is like heavily, heavily impacted by the gospel in so many ways. You do a whole show on it. But we just sitting in this room, it's, it was amazing. It was a blessing being able to sit there and eat food and celebrate and worship and listen to them chat. They got family some, stories. They, they just say they got some big brains in the Wilson clan there. I wonder if they call it a Presbyterian. Presbyterian. in that town. Mm. Oh, people mm. could say that. It's actually well sad. played. Yeah, yeah. Don't Sam. give don't give people that because well that's going to be used. It's a Presbyterian. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Irony is unbiblical, Marcus. Oh, Irony my. Is. So we're back, and hopefully that stuff that we went there to film and do uh, will bless all of you and uh, look forward to the future, the stuff that we're going to do together with Wilson. I'm excited about. So lots of stuff has happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, and we want to make sure we address some stuff. So I got some fun stuff. I got some stuff that has to do with an article that was written about me. Uh, I have, uh, of course, some content that we want to review that has to do with Milo Yiannopoulos. Everyone probably knows about Milo now. Um, Isn't it a sin just to mention his name? He's a paradox in so many ways because he's a conservative Roman Catholic-ish guy. Uh, He is like representative of all things conservative today, and yet he is um, professing, proud, homosexual, which is really strange. So he was the head... Editor, I believe, for Breitbart News, a uh, very popular conservative um, blog spot. And uh, he has recently resigned uh, because of a recent, well, I don't know if it was actually recent, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. Was that a recent interview? No, the one it was that actually before he was him? famous. Okay, so an interview he did with, I think, some atheists is, is what it was, like an atheist podcast. So some comments from that got caught by some people, got put up. And man, it took only a couple of days for people to turn on him. And, uh, and in many ways, rightly so. I mean, the things he said were deplorable. And so we're gonna talk about some of that. But what, what, let's, do the, uh, let's do this first, just for fun. Just for fun. Since we're talking about Doug Wilson, let's make it make sense. If you haven't seen it yet, I wanna encourage you to do so. Go see, uh, pick up the film Collision. It's Douglas Wilson, Pastor Douglas Wilson, debating Christopher Hitchens, famous deceased atheist. Uh, my favorite atheist in history. Um, I really, I mean, if he was alive, I would really have loved to have a chance to chat with him. Um, but he died uh, fairly recently of esophageal cancer. And before he got diagnosed with the cancer, he had an online back and forth with Pastor Doug um, over, is Christianity good for the world? They turned it into a book. 
And then they did a book tour together. Darren Doan filmed it, and uh, Darren's a buddy of ours. We stayed in Darren's house. We did. His guest house. His guest house. So Darren Doan filmed this thing. It's a really, really well done video. I used to play it once a month at the hospital that I was a chaplain at uh, just to get conversations started. So I encourage you to get it. It's on Amazon. Get Collision with Douglas Wilson and Christopher Hitchens. So uh, during the tour, they were on a couple of different news shows. And this one, Marcus just shared. This was uh, Doug Wilson on with Christopher Hitchens on Joy Bear. Bear. Behar. Behar Show. Joy Behar Show. Okay, here we go. New subway ads in New York City have renewed the debate in America about religion and God. So I thought this would be a perfect time to bring in the stars of Collision, a new documentary on religion and atheism. Christopher Hitchens, self-proclaimed anti-theist and author of God is Not Great, and Pastor Douglas Wilson, evangelical and author. Welcome to the show. I saw the movie, and I really enjoyed the movie very much. It's very, very interesting. But I don't, I don't want you two to just rehash the debates, okay? okay we All right, because I want you to make me understand where you're at and people who are watching the show. Because, okay. you know, so, okay, let's start with you. Uh, can you give One thing I want you to notice before this even begins, I want you to notice the high level of respect that Christopher Hitchens has for Wilson. Mm. If you see the film, you'll see like where it caught on, yeah. where Christopher Hitchens realizes that he actually really likes Douglas Wilson. Like they yeah. shared so yeah. much in common, a love for literature and poetry. And like Wilson has like all these quotes memorized from this author that they both love. And there's, there's this point in the film, you see it like catch on. Like Christopher Hitchens develops this love for Wilson and a really high respect. Like um, in the debate they had at Westminster, um, Scott Oliphant like mediated that, and in that debate, uh, I th- Hitchens I think is losing so badly. His arguments aren't working against Wilson, who is a presuppositionalist and did a really fantastic job. So he goes for what is his favorite argument to like annihilate Christians. Uh, he uses it often, and uh, it has to do with Christ being a false prophet from his perspective. Jesus didn't know the timing of his own coming. He said that he was going to return before that generation passed away. Now, you hand that question, that challenge to the average evangelical, and they're going to give right. you the craziest answer ever. Wilson knows the argument. Wilson answers them in 60 seconds and takes it away from him and done. And so Hitchens has a very, very high level of respect in all of these discussions for Pastor Wilson. So you're going to see that come out here. Of course, Hitchens is Hitchens. But com- in comparison to him against other Christians and creationists, no comparison. Just in a nutshell, Pastor, a case for God. Okay. That God exists. Uh, one of the things I would want to do is, is uh, ask about where your starting point is. Who has the burden of proof? So does, a, does a, a Ford automobile have the burden of proof of demonstrating that there was a Henry Ford or that there wasn't? Who has, who has the burden of proof? And a lot of this debate is actually scrambling for the high ground of who has to do the proving, who has to do the maintaining, uh-huh. who carries the burden of proof. Now, for uh, And people, who do you think carries the burden I, of proof? I believe the one who denies the self-evident fact that God exists and created the world, that I think that that is the person who has the burden of you proof. You say it's self-evident? Yes, self-evident to those... Those who believe. Who, those who believe. Those who don't believe... Uh, you know, if you watch this movie, Collision, it's sort of like watching high, uh, diving competitions in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. The Romanian judge comes up with a completely different 
uh, score, you know, two right. points, ten points. So this is the sort of debate where atheists go to it and they think Christopher carried the day and believers go to the debate and they think that right. the, the Christian yeah, guy is did there, any, there may not be a, a solution to this. Uh, well, well, no, there, I think there is one. I mean, and I can't avail myself of the almost beautiful circularity of Pastor Wilson's argument. Uh, you notice how he even calls him Pastor Wilson? Yep. I mean, honestly, yeah. watch Hitchens debate other Christians. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. They really liked each other. Hitchens had a really profound respect for Wilson, and you just see it all over. It's, mm. I mean, it's really, it's, it's compelling to see. And I, I wouldn't want to shirk any burden of proof mm. or disproof, but it does seem to me that if someone says, if I don't agree with them, I might be condemned to eternal punishment, and that snakes talk... Uh, virgins bear children and dead men walk. That extraordinary claims do require extraordinary evidence. What, what atheists say is not that there is no God, we couldn't possibly prove that. We say there is n there's never been any evidence, and there's never been a convincing philosophical argument that there is such an entity. In fact, we say there is no supernatural dimension. Mm -hmm. The natural world is much more wonderful. Um, but, but you don't, Pastor, you it's don't enough really, in itself. You don't really believe that snakes talk and that Noah had all those animals on the boat, do you? Yeah, I believe, I believe the Bible. I'm a Christian, so I believe but, but the Bible. But it's, it's, it sounds like you're too intelligent to really believe that literally. I understand your faith, but that animals, all those animals were on the boat? Well, come on. Yeah, come on. We're, an, we're, <laughs> we're, we're animals. And we that's talk. a fact. We're primates. And, yeah. And, and we, oh. Even Hitchens is like, well, that's a fact. <laughs> we were just talking about this. We did a TV show. We did a TV show with, uh, with uh, Dr. Ben Merkel. Um, uh, he actually joined us in the studio just uh, a couple hours ago. And uh, I was mentioning to, to Dr. Merkel that Hitchens, uh, sorry, uh, Wilson has a way about him of taking your legs off in, yeah. a, in one fell swoop in like a single sentence. I, I was just saying, what, does he like sit in a corner, like just sitting there with his hand on his chin, like thinking about great one-liners that annihilate all opposition to Jesus? Right. Well, like Wilson has that just right. uncanny ability to do that. And uh, that's another example. Like, uh, you really believe that you know, animals talk? Well, well, we're animals and we talk. <laughs> he's, he just, he's, he's good at it. He's really, really good that's at so it. That's so funny. From an evolutionary standpoint, that destroys them. Yeah, completely. Completely. Right. And uh, so I, I just I wanted to play that clip for you guys. Go check out some of those videos. There's actually quite a few of them. YouTube, Christopher Hitchens, Douglas Wilson. There's a bunch of them. There's um, radio interviews. I think he was even on with Dennis Miller. Yeah, he was on with Dennis Miller and Hitchens. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Like there's, I mean, there's a bunch of them. So they're, they're really entertaining oh. and they're fun. And I think, you know, watch them and, and pay attention to that, that the profound level of respect that Hitchens has for him. And I think, you know, it gets to something we could probably finish this, this segment up with. And it's something we talked to Dr. Merkel about as well. He's the um, president of New St. Andrews College. Um, what is, I think, powerful in the interaction that Wilson had there with Hitchens is the level of intellect and strength of thought and consistency that Wilson has that Hitchens can't penetrate. Yeah. He, he can't penetrate it. And it, I think it gnawed at him at first, and then he just had a profound respect. And if, if you see where the whole thing ends up, if you watch the movie Collision... At the, it goes from like this beginning where they like meet and then they're actually together yeah. and then they kind of have this appreciation. The Hitchens kind of falls in love with Wilson. You can just see it take place on film. But the very end of that whole entire film is where you get Hitchens to give an admission that I just don't believe that he would have done with anybody else. 
Now, whether that was because of his profound respect and intimacy he had with Wilson, or whether it was because they were leaving a pub and he might have had a few, I'm not exactly sure. Or a combination of the two. Um, a combination of the two. But in that one, that's where um, Hitchens says to Wilson, like, the hardest thing for them to overcome as atheists is the obvious design of everything. He says that the universe sits on a razor's edge. He says, like, you move anything even a degree and everything falls apart. It doesn't work. And so he just confesses, like, the hardest thing to get over is the obvious design of it all. And wouldn't you know it? Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God has shown it to them. And it says what? Since the creation of the world, what about creation? It just testifies to every single person. And there's no way out of it. Yep. And you get it right there all through Collision. So if you haven't seen it yet, go see Collision. I'm sure it's like nothing now on Amazon. How much does that cost now on Amazon? Maybe three bucks? It's not on there anymore, actually. I don't know where to find it. Someone was asking me the other day. Oh. It's not on iTunes or Amazon. Come on. It's somewhere on the internet. We'll figure it out. Use your Google skills, y'all. I'll look look it up right now. I know the guy who owns it, so we need to talk to him. Well, maybe it'll be on Apologia Studios Not only do I know my stinking house. That's right. That's right. By the way, I banged my head several times on the ceiling walking up the stairs. Did you? Uh, once. Yeah, hit my head. Yeah. Nice house. Yeah. But the ceiling's kind of low. Yeah. Yeah, I well, figured you did. Yeah, just once, thankfully. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of like Hey, by walk. the way, can I just say this on air? Hey, Marcus, um, was it the Sunday we were leaving? You woke up at like 5 a.m. or banging things around, running around, turning stuff on. And then you, uh, did you not realize it was 5 a.m. and you went back to bed? Did that happen? No, that wasn't me. No. All I know is it was like 5 a.m. And, some, and someone was up walking around, turning stuff on, turning lights on, banging things around, waking me up. And I was like, what is he doing? Next thing you know. <laughs> it weren't me. I can tell you that much. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So here we go, guys. We are going to go to break. We'll come right back, guys. Apologia Radio. Get us at ApologiaRadio.com. We're going to actually interact for a minute with an article done by a quote-unquote Christian feminist, um, Jory Micah. Be right back, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face this is the chocolate knox if you love that wonderful sensation of chewing glass this is the show for you. Cross Politic is a weekly show and podcast that mixes the taboo formula of faith, culture, and politics, proclaiming the Lordship of Christ in every corner of our culture. Hallelujah. Gabriel Wrench is a deacon from Texas, and he wears overalls. One time. <laughs> Chocolate Knox, a.k.a. David Shannon, 
He's a movie maker from Minnesota. Action! I'm Toby Sumter, pastor here in Moscow, Idaho, and I used to live in Alaska. Did you know that? No. no. We've interviewed everyone from Alveda King to Ted Cruz to Steve Dace to Walter Williams, and we invite you to join us here at Cross Politic as we learn to fight, laugh, and feast all to the glory of God. CrossPolitik.com. Modest Yahoo. That's his new one, y'all. I'm totally digging on this album. All right, let's get to it. So just a quick brush at this for this segment. We're going to just review a little bit of this article. Actually, I saw this article when we were in Kauai, I believe is where I saw it. And so I totally forgot that uh, I wanted to say a few words on it. So um, We have to make the correction yes, that, that collision is available on Amazon. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So go get it, y'all. Yeah, it is. It's on Amazon. For for uh, stream and to purchase. Just purchase it. Good, good, good. Yes. Okay. That thing. So um, this article is written by a Christian feminist uh, by the name of Jory Micah. Jory ha- Michaels? Yes. Has She's had I had a hard time remembering who she was, and so we kind of laughed about the fact that I thought it was Rory Michaels. Um, so she's had some interaction with Summer White uh, and actually Dr. James White. Uh, interesting character, Jory Micah, um, says some provocative things on her Twitter and Facebook, um, some pretty contradictory things in terms of uh, holding to a Christian position and being a quote-unquote Christian feminist. Okay, so the article start, starts off and it says, uh, how to be a pro-life Christian feminist. So you can look it up, Jory Micah, how to be a pro-life Christian feminist. And the first picture that pops up, actually, I don't know why it's on there twice. It's uh, two, two of the same picture. It says, Jesus never shamed women. Jesus never shamed women. And so I, I'm assuming this is at some feminist march or something like that. And so it says, Jesus never shamed women. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Now, if you mean in some sense that Jesus uh, never abused women, was never abusive, sinful against women, I'm... I'm with you, Jory, 100%. Jesus would never be abusive to a woman. Jesus was never never um, acting in sin or malice against any person, any image bearer of God, whether male, female, doesn't make a difference. Um, but it's interesting that you chose that picture. Jesus never shamed women. And you did it in the context of the pro-life debate. So I'm assuming, and we're going to get into this here, that you mean by the posting of this picture that anybody like us— you specifically name me in your article, anybody like us that actually calls abortion murder and calls women to repent of it, that we are, quote-unquote, shaming women. Well, what I want to point you to, Jory, and anybody who reads this article, is that when Jesus uh, talks about sin or when the Bible actually talks about sin uh, anywhere, it always tells the truth about sin. And anytime in Scripture you see Jesus confronting sin, whether male or female, or the Apostle Paul confronting sin, male or female, or Peter confronting sin, male or female, It's always to confront sin, the violation of God's law, the transgression of God's law, to call people to repentance and faith. So the the point is, is that 
when you quote the law of God and somebody's violation of it, it's not to be abusive. If the, if the intent is to be abusive in the highlighting of the violating of the law of God, if the intention is the abuse, then that's sin. And of course, we're all in on that. We want to call that down. But if somebody highlights murder as murder and calls people to repent of murder, that's not shaming. Mm-hmm. That's in the hopes that they would come to Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into a couple things here regarding your article, but I just want to point something out to you. When you post a picture that says Jesus never shamed women, well, if you mean by that, like Jesus never confronted sin and talked about sin in bold, clear terms, if that's what you, if that's what you think shaming is, well, then I'll read to you a passage from Revelation chapter 2. Man, I love the Bible. <laughs> Revelation chapter 2. It's pretty cool. It is. Verse 18. This is to the church in Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. It says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. I ask humbly, respectfully, Jory, is that Jesus shaming women? Or do you accept that passage of scripture as scripture? Or would you just say, well, I'm going to ignore ignore that. I'm not going to pay attention to those statements from Jesus where he's confronting sin. Or really anywhere in the Bible that confronts sin. Is that your position? I wonder. I wonder how you would actually respond if you were there. Were those were those words in red? Uh, those were le- those are red letter. Those are red letters. Those are red letter, red my letter. friend. Wow, those Jesus. Those are definitely red letter. I'd also bring up the woman at the well. Yeah. Right. What's he say to her, Marcus? He says, uh, "You have uh, not one husband, but five? Yeah. He said, "That's right. You don't have a husband. Yeah. Because right. you have five husbands. Yeah. He says, "And the one you got now ain't your husband." Right. <laughs> That's the. 21st century Jeff translation. Yeah. The one you got now ain't your husband. Yeah. The Dirtman translation. Oh, wait, Jeff. You got five bays, yeah. and the one you got now ain't your bay. <laughs> ain't your bay. <laughs> 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 that was great. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, I love oh, you, Marcus. Marcus. Wait. What about the woman caught in adultery, though? Jesus, yeah. Jesus showed her grace. Uh, Not well, in the Bible. Yeah. Well, I, well, I would. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's. Uh, great. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. Let's let's go into that now. It's another subject. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. So let's talk about the um, the account of the adulterous woman. So there are um, over five thousand seven hundred manuscript pieces and copies in our New Testament documents that have come up to us. Over nineteen thousand translations of those documents, Latin, Ethiopian, those sorts of things. And there are a limited number. I'm talking like very, very limited number of. Um, of passages in scripture where you have a textual variant or a passage of scripture that never really could seem to find a home. It's floating around in different texts and different places in the Bible. I'm talking like limited, like as in you've got the longer ending of Mark and you've got the account of the adulterous woman. I personally believe 
that the account of the adulterous woman was a tradition, probably, uh, of something somebody saw in the life of Jesus and that was passed down by word of mouth. But I don't think it was divinely inspired. I don't think that that was like placed in the Bible. So I think like the long ending of Mark and the account of the adulterous woman, those are two points of scripture that you don't want to build a lot of doctrine on. I think it was a tradition, probably. I think it was passed down. Do I think it belongs in that part of scripture? No. Um, however, when you look at the account of the adulterous woman, say you believe that that is Theonoustos, divinely inspired, and it belongs there, it's not just a tradition, if you look at that text, Jesus actually is upholding the law of God in that respect. Um, you've got an accusation mm-hmm. being brought against this woman, but where's the man? Right? Where's the man in the story? Mm-hmm. And so this is essentially a kangaroo trial, right? You've got people essentially lynching this woman. Um, which is against the law of God. You're not allowed to, to do that in the law of God. You don't have any mob justice according to the law of God. So when you have this woman being brought up on quote-unquote charges, this isn't a proper trial. There's no judge. Like, where, where's, where's the two or three independent lines of testimony and witness that God commands? And then where's the dude? If you caught her in the very act of adultery, then where's the dude? So where, where's the guy in all of this? Because he's equally guilty. Where's so, her bay? Where's her bay? So Jesus, when he confronts the, uh, in the account of the adulterous woman, when he confronts the issue, he's upholding the law of God. He's not skirting the law of God. He's not like, well, it doesn't really matter anymore. That's just, by the way, how a lot of people handle that Mm -hmm. is they always say like, well, look, Jesus like flipped the law there. Like he, you know, she should have been stoned as an adulteress. Uh, Not like that. Right. And if Jesus had, had let it go like that, let's say that is Theonostos. It belongs in scripture in that spot. It's not just a tradition. If Jesus had gone with that, He'd be in violation of the law of God. Can I bring up another point too? Yeah. Uh, they didn't have any authority to execute anybody because that's True. why they had to bring Jesus before Potness and several times. Uh, Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad we caught that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like who? That's why we got... Yeah, whatever his name is. Potness. <laughs> 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 oh man! <Hotness. laughs> yeah, that. Oh my goodness! That guy. Oh my goodness! Oh, I, I can't let this go. Marcus. Okay, I can't let this go, Marcus. <laughs> I wish I were high on pot news. <laughs> I wish I was high on pot news. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but, okay. okay. Oh, man, how are we going to get back? Where okay, were we? Go. We're back. Okay, oh, so my. if somebody was to say, Goodness. like, in the account of the adulterous woman, like, Jesus isn't confronting sin, I would say your feminism dramatically impacts your ability to read the Bible. Dramatically. Because if you think that Jesus is a character who doesn't confront sin, never calls people to repentance and faith, I question whether you've spent even a cursory reading uh, through Scripture. I mean, I really, really do. Because Jesus confronts sin all the time. I mean, when he talks about the tower that fell on people, what's he say? Except you, except you repent, you will likewise perish. I mean, that's the kind of thing Jesus says to people. Where's that in your message, Jory? But, and like I said, if this is about being mean-spirited and hateful and spiteful to women, we're completely opposed to that. That's sin. Well, and see, that's the primary issue with the article, is that it takes those two things that you just said, and it switches back and forth between them. Yeah. What we would agree with is that Jesus never shamed women for being women. Right. right. It wasn't because they were women. He called out their sin, just as he would if they were a man. Mm-hmm. 
what she's saying. Jesus she's, is a complementarian. You mean she's <laughs> she's taking she's taking she's taking that meaning where we would agree with her, and then she's taking this this other meaning, which is that you shouldn't shame women on women's issues, and you shouldn't make women feel ashamed for the things that they do. And she's switching those things back and forth. She's using them synonymously in her article. So um, it, it doesn't work. That's right. why the the article's really not um, cohesive. It, it sounds great if you just read it without really thinking about it very much. Mm. Um, but really, she's taking those two things and she's just switching them back and forth. But really, she means two different things. So we would agree with her that Jesus would never be like, oh, there's a woman Let's go find out the things she's done. Right. Right. And make her feel shame for those things. Right. Um, also, I don't even know if, let's just keep going through the article because there's other, there's yeah. probably more appropriate to, times to bring this up. Inter interrupt me and jump in wherever okay. you want. Okay. Okay. Several years ago, I sat in a hot tub relaxing, Jory says, with a girlfriend my age who was not a Christian. Suddenly, out of nowhere, she confided in me, quote, I had an abortion a few years ago. Her face was blank numb even. I could not tell if she felt shame or regret, but I could see that she nervously awaited my Christian response. Now this is in bold. As a conservative evangelical at the time, I felt a little sick to my stomach. I was raised to look at this one issue as, as a horror. I mean, is there anything worse than a mother, quote, murdering her own baby? I am not judgmental by nature. I'm sorry, respectfully, Jory. I don't gather that from you. Uh, <laughs> probably because I am so messed up by nature and need a lot of grace. So I, in case you're wondering why we said that, this article is judgmental in nature. Yeah, and so are so 90 by nature. Like right. it just is that. Like if if you're, she's she's using judgmental in the sense of the world believes it, which right. is that she's saying she's not hateful. She's saying she's open-minded and tolerant. Right. But judgmental actually means judging. Yeah, making discern Making judgments. Uh, making distinctions. Right. So she right. is making distinctions mm. in this article. She's judgmental. Right. She is. I'm not judgmental by nature, probably because I'm so messed up by nature and need a lot of grace. So do we all. Joy. What does that even mean? I don't understand that. That so, doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So I'm I, not judgmental by nature, probably because I am so messed up by nature. Yeah, that's original sin. Yeah. So I hid my disgust and simply <laughs> listened she needed to get it off her chest, and I needed to hear someone say it. My innocent evangelical ears had never even heard a woman admit to an abortion. Well, okay. This was an introduction to what real women are facing, and I would soon be working with real women and advocating for their rights in the home, church, and world. I've always had a passion for defending women, even with my very conservative background. Once when Luke and I first started dating, Not me. we were enjoying a nice dinner with friends on a party street in Norfolk, Virginia. What? Young women were walking up and down the street with the club clothes on, and grown men had large signs that said, Repent, whores, or burn in hell, or something of that nature. Okay, I want to stop here for a yes. second. And I just want to, again, this is one of those things that you might not think about very much, but just consider in this sort of non-reflective world that we live in today, unless someone's calling you a whore, no one's calling you a whore. Right. <laughs> you can't say... That because someone is doing pro-life ministry in a certain way that they're calling women whores. She may, her defense of that may be, that's not what I'm doing. 
But there's an emotional argument here. There's a reason why she chose to put that in the article. So all I'm saying is just consider that that's an emotional argument. And unless someone, unless you hear someone calling someone a whore, no one's being called a whore. Right. Anyway. I also want to add that she was in Old Town Norfolk, which is where I'm from. And the preacher she's referencing, I pretty much know for certain it's a group of people who are KJV onlyist uh, Pelagians. Yeah. Because they go there all right. the time. So, and I know those guys and they're awful. Yeah. Right. And that's what I mean. So, <laughs> unless someone is, so I would not, I would not personally call someone a whore. I would not condone that. And I would not suggest that you do that in your pro life ministry. Right. Um, yeah, right. But Amen. the point is, is you cannot take that little anecdote and apply it. To pro-life ministry yeah. at large. Right. And Jory, I'm not also not saying Jory may have meant for that to happen, but that's how our world works today. I could not focus on Luke, my friends, or my dinner. All I could do was focus on those men demeaning and condemning those young women to hell. I understand that. I would have a problem with it too. I'd probably confront those street preachers. Just so you know, Jory, yes. I have confronted those kinds of men before. Mm. When they have showed up at any, anything we've been doing, I have directly confronted them. And guess what they do? They come after me, mm-hmm. Jory. They come after me. I'm the guy that they hate. Uh, the spirit came over me, and I stood up without telling anyone at the table what I was doing, marched outside, grabbed a Bible out of one of the men's hands, and started preaching to him about Jesus' love for women, even women who are dressed like whores. Bold letters. I despise when Christians shame women. Um, it makes my blood boil because it will only turn them away from Jesus, and then they will not only continue to dress like whores, but perhaps they will actually become whores. Condemnation is the worst way to win souls to Christ. Only God's amazing love and kindness, kindness leads humans to repentance. And he quotes Romans 2, 4. I uh, just want to point out to you, uh, Jory, as you proof text there, well, you just proof reference there, um, Romans 2, 4 comes after Romans chapter 1. And if you read and before Romans three, oh, that's it? right. That's right. And, and Romans chapter one, starting in verse 18, it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what does this say? It says that they don't want God in their knowledge. They don't want to know him. They profess to be wise. They become fools. They switch God for idols. And then what does God do? It says, therefore, God gave them over to what? Degrading passions Mm -hmm. to do what is against nature. They engage in homosexual sin. And that's not all. It's not just homosexuality there. It's it's, um, disobedience to parents. It's Mm -hmm. gossips. And it's a line of sins. And it says that they know that those who do these things deserve to die. And it says they don't just do it. They applaud those who practice these things. So when you say, like, you know, it's the kindness and love of God, all these different things. Look, if you you mean what those guys were doing, that mean-spirited nature, the hateful way they were doing that, we're against that too. But if you mean in some sense, because I think that's what you're getting at, that Jesus, the apostles, that Christians wouldn't or shouldn't um, confront sin directly and call it out, then I would just say, Rory, Jory, sorry, you need to read your Bible. It's honestly, it's not, you got, you have to forgive Jeff. He, it's an honest mistake. He it wasn't keeps doing mistake. it. It's not a joke. It's not, we're not making fun of Jory no, it keeps in that happening. way. It no. just it happens. It's really. I, there, there, <laughs> there's a list or in that list of sins there in Romans one, one of them's murder. Right. Murder's in there. And they're inventors. Right. Well, evil. well, and in Romans 3, 
it talks about no one seeking for God. So in that statement, she talks about people being less likely to like Jesus being less palatable if right. we do ministry in a certain way. Right. So it's like Romans 2 is sandwiched by these things that contextually just obliterate mm-hmm. that argument. Her position, yeah. So one last word, and we'll go to break here. This is where she mentions me. She says, this is why I am beyond disturbed by the Christian pro-life movement, especially in the evangelical church. And here's where she gives my video. Now, here's what's interesting about the video. She puts my video up where we're outside of Planned Parenthood, and this woman confronts us, by the way, um, Jory. The woman confronted us and started screaming and cursing at us. I don't know why you would actually share this video as a positive thing in any way right. in terms of a woman's response or me. I mean, if, if you look at most of the comments in, those, in this video, most people say, like, I can't believe how gracious you were to her, Pastor Jeff. Now, I know that I have sins and I don't evangelize perfectly and I'm still um, a work in progress and I'm under construction by God. I'm still being sanctified. I'm going to sin in, in evangelism. Yeah, amen to all that. I'll, I'll definitely check the box on that. But in this particular case, I'm not sure why you'd share this one because I can't see anything in this video other than me communicating the gospel to her and trying to just tell her why we're doing what we're doing. But she says this. She says, this video by Jeff Durbin, who is a neo-Calvinist pastor. Neo-Calvinist. Interesting way to put that. Neo-Calvinist pastor and prides himself on being an advocate for the pro-life movement. Now, that's a little unfair. That's a little unfair. Mm-hmm. I, would ch- I would actually challenge you to find a single place in any of my videos, my teaching, in our radio episodes, find a single place where I'm actually saying something like, I pride myself on uh, being an advocate for the pro-life movement. Being in the pro-life movement and fighting for the lives of children doesn't mean that I pride myself on uh, being an advocate for the pro-life movement. I would just probably encourage you to have a better choice of words there. Um, it if says, anything, you've you've dogged the pro-life movement. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've in many ways been opposed to the pro-life movement because they approach in many ways like you, Jory. Um, it says, uh, Jeff Durbin, neo-Calvinist pastor, prides himself on being an advocate for the pro-life movement, is a prime example of why the world wants nothing to do with Jesus when they see with how we deal with our pro-life I'm sorry, stance. Jess, but you're not a prime example. The Bible's pretty clear why the world wants nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. You know, I mean. Hopefully, yeah. It's not because of me. It's because everyone's a sinner and they don't want God. Yeah. It's pretty clear about that. All right, guys. Be right back, guys. Stay with us. Read a little bit more of this. And then we're going to get into a discussion on Milo Yiannopoulos. Radio.com. Stay with us. Hey, tell a friend about us. Share an episode with somebody you love. Let them know what we're doing at Apologia Church. Oh, and get ready because it's almost done. Endabortionnow.com. Is almost finished. You'll be able to go there, get connected. Maybe I'll get an update from uh, Zach about the website. And uh, you guys will be able to get connected with your church, get tools, resources, get training, be able to go out on the front lines and stand up for justice for these children. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Les. And I'm Tanner. And we're the hosts of the Reformed Pubcast. A weekly podcast where two friends get together and talk about the things that they love. It's like all those times you talked about theology over a pint of beer with your friends, but we're just dumb enough to record it. It's the theology of Calvin and the thirst of Luther. Join in on the conversation by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. It's the Reformed Pubcast. What's up, y'all? This is Jeff Durbin with Apologia 
Radio at ApologiaRadio.com. Want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to Whitfield.edu, Whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E-F-I-E-L-D.edu. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Man, I love Matasah. I'm just so glad he's kind of returning to some of his more like dub roots. Yeah, yeah. I love this album. Quick, quick update, Zach. Tell us about the website and abortion now. Yeah, so the website is currently under construction, and from what I understood from the gentleman who's working with our developer, it is moving very, very quickly as far as getting up, getting the materials on there. We've been working on getting up all of the training resources, which we're going to start and conclude uh, next week to be able to get you guys equipped to start doing this kind of ministry outside of your local abortion clinics under the covering of your church. So very, very excited for that. Everything's coming together. You just did a radio interview on Iron Sharpens Iron, right? That's right. Hour and a half long. Yeah. yeah, You did? Yeah, 90 minutes. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. 90 minutes. It was my first one ever, and Mm -hmm. it went well. It was a great, great time being on there explaining about the ministry and what we do, and uh, it's a good time. Good times. Great, dude. Times. Yes. <laughs> I was so, I was freaking out for well, like the per- first ten minutes. I was like, oh, I've never been on a radio before. Like, interview. What is this? What are we? Well, what are we? Hold on. We just have a friend. It's different. <laughs> yeah. We're like family. I'm on there with strangers. Like, Tell us about yourself. Tell me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, one one interesting addition to the website that we didn't necessarily plan on. That's going to be a part of it. Is you'll be able to go to the website and you put in your name and your email and then it sends an automatic the click of a button you don't have to do any work except put your name and email in yep. it sends a message to your legislators in your state and the message the form is made by us and it's essentially telling your legislator that you want immediate justice for these children you want abortion to be criminalized and that you will support them if they do so and so we figure on a national level all these things going out to these legislators the legislators are going to know they have the support of their constituents mm, yep. and it's going to be part of the website so i here's the thing even if you don't get connected to endabortionnow.com if you're not on it with your church and getting the resources and going out you can at least share that page on the on dim internets and let other Christians know, because I mean, that's an incredible tool. That is a really incredible tool. Uh, one thing, oh, I'll bring this up. One thing Doug said in his talk that I think Luke, you missed, because I think you went to the bathroom when this, when this part came on. He said, he pulled his phone out and he talked about all the apps on your phone. Mm-hmm. He said, now how many servants do you think you would need? How many people do you have to employ to do what some of these mm-hmm. applications would do? That was amazing. That was right. Yeah, I did miss it. Yeah, he he said like imagine like he said like this this thing here this dictionary. He said uh, if if George Washington needed to hire employees to do what this app can do, 
how many employees would you need to hire yeah. um, to go to a library to get the resource to come back and to give them the information? Mm. He said, how many how many uh, employees? Mm. And so he said, he said, I would venture to guess with all these apps, if your if your phone is filled up, you would probably have like a hundred thousand servants at your fingertips wow. working for free, you know, wow. or buying an app for a dollar ninety nine or whatever. That was a really good way to put that. Yeah, you have so many ways to. You know, get get yeah. help and stuff. It's amazing. It comes back to the blessing of the gospel too that Christianity has brought, and now you know you no longer have to sit down and write out a physical letter to your representative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about being back in that day. You mm-hmm. would have had to use ink, candlelight. Now mm-hmm. look at what a you horse. can do with the click a of a horse. Yeah, the click of a button. Click of a button. And the message and, was there. And and, and yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, how many? How, how much time would you had to? Have, would you have had to invest? In researching the legislators in the area, putting together a letter, sending something off, like getting it to them, like, and it's just, it's all done for you. And it's all done for you. Pay a tax to Potnus. The Potnus. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get back into it. Here we go. All right, so more from Jory Micah's article after she brings me up. She says, Now, don't get me wrong, there are some beautiful Christians who advocate for the pro life movement and do it with love, but even they often take a self righteous approach. Um, I, I, want, I wonder, uh, Jory, how many babies have you saved from death? You're talking a lot about the pro-life movement, about how everybody else fails. I have a question. How many babies have you saved from death with your approach? I, I, I really want to know. Like, could you think about that for a moment? Because if you look at the work of Apologia Church, we've saved probably about 70 babies from death through uh, our local ministries. And because of our ministry, hundreds of babies across the country through, through other ministries that have popped up through listening to us, being encouraged. So, um, so and I mean this in, in terms of, let's talk about practical. We bring the gospel to the abortion mill. We do call it murder because that's what God calls it. We offer these women the hope that's in Christ, forgiveness, and we offer to help in any way possible to pay for their medical care, to give them food, to give them shelter, to even adopt their children. And there's like 70 babies saved from death that we know of. So how many babies have you saved, Jory? I know that's a tough thing, thing to think about. You might be thinking that's prideful. No, but right, I mean, you can I, call it self-righteous yeah, if you want. Call it self-righteous, but I want to talk in terms of practical importance and benefits. You have two methodologies, Jory Micah's and Apologia Church's. Put them side by side. Which one saves babies? So how many babies have you saved, Jory? Because if your methodology is superior over churches like ours across the country, then, then we, we want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. How many babies have you saved? We had another one yesterday, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. How many, how, I want to know, how many women have you preached the gospel to and let, about, let, know, let them know about the hope that's in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness in, that's in him through your methodology? I want to know. Because we've preached the gospel to thousands at this point. So, Jory, let's talk about practical benefits here. What is working is your method or is our method because in terms of biblical faithfulness i think that you have you don't have anything to stand on respectfully i mean that with love and humility but you're not standing on scripture with your position and in terms of practical what's working i don't believe that your position um can even be compared to the work of churches across the country that actually go to love these women and to call them to christ i I just don't believe that there's any way to compare it so it says this, last year when I decided that I would vote for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump, oh boy, because I am not a single issue voter, uh, these loving sweet ladies unfriended me on Facebook because they could not stand that I would vote for a pro-choice candidate. This is not right. This is self-righteous behavior and it is finding our identity in one political issue. Um, 
actually more than one. There's a uh, network of issues. Now, by the way, Jory, <laughs> you ought to know, go back into our history and, and just look at all the episodes that we've done on Donald Trump, critiquing him, criticizing. We understand, probably would agree with you on uh, the majority of the things that you'd be complaining about about Donald Trump. Um, however, however, um, when you say that you would vote for Hillary Clinton, because what? Because you believe in her form of government? That's not biblical. Because you believe in her position on uh, national health care and stealing money from widows and poor people to fund something by coercion uh, they didn't ask for? Uh, would, would it be that? Would it be her view of the public school education system and the fact that she advocates for the murder of children on a lo- such a large scale? You think that it'd be appropriate to vote for someone like that? I'm sorry. Anybody who names the name of Christ and says that I would vote for Hillary Clinton, that's, that's a really, really compelling thing to me, and I, I want to know. Because I don't think it's about one issue. I don't. I, I, my not voting personally for Hillary Clinton didn't have to do with one issue. It had to do with her worldview, mm-hmm. her entire worldview. Mm-hmm. And so you guys go ahead and jump in there if you want to. I was just going to say that was a very fake complaint. A what now? Very fake. Very fake complaint? Yeah. Like to say just one issue. Yeah, that's true. That was right, a, yeah. that was a play on Trump. Nobody picked up on that apparently. Oh yeah, fake. Okay, fake. Gotcha. <laughs> Moving on. There are many moral issues in politics, and I happen to be more passionate about gender equality than abortion, and I will tell you why. Wow, that is a really powerful statement. Right. I am, and more... it's very powerful in telling you why she may have voted for Hillary Clinton. I. And she's more passionate. More passionate. About we'll let her tell you why. Okay, so here we go. So this, she says the reason why is number one, I believe that gender equality will lead to many fewer abortions. Mm. How? How so? There's no explanation. It just says one. I believe that gender equality will lead to many <laughs> fewer abortions. So right. just keep that in mind. Again, it's another thing. Like it's just another. Uh, sh- She's lured you in with these emotional arguments. She said a lot of things that on the surface sound really great, but it all just don't read any further. Number one, I believe. Okay, throw it out. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> you believe it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean anything. She didn't state her case. She didn't give any statistics. She just said, we all know how she, and you know what? I'm, we could all go back. I And I have personally read a lot of what she has to say about gender equality, and I've read a lot about what she has to say about how about abortions and gender equality and all that kind of thing. But um, her arguments aren't good. They're not good. And it all starts with, I believe. And that's the point. If if you want, go ahead and read it, but just know that that statement starts with, I believe. So it's a personal statement. It's right. not a fact. Uh, number two, I don't believe abortion will ever be outlawed. So why fight a losing battle? I don't believe. Okay. Another I believe statement. Yeah. Well, uh, Jory, let me point something out to you um you don't believe what you just wrote there you don't believe it i can prove it to you i'll prove to you that you don't believe what you just said i don't believe abortion will ever be outlawed so why fight a losing battle let me ask you a question would you during the time where women uh weren't quote allowed to vote would you have campaigned and lobbied for equality and that women could vote would you what if someone said to you in that time, guys, women are never going to be able to vote like men, so why fight a losing battle? And let me ask you a question. If you saw some disparity um, in uh, 
the culture and how things were operating in terms of women being treated uh, less equal than men, and it was somehow codified in law, would you not fight against it? Because it will never be outlawed anyway, so why fight a losing battle? You see, I don't believe that you believe this, Jory. I think it's just, um, I think it's just something to say. And it's not, something, it's not even something very good to say. And let me say this. I believe that if you and I, Jory, were uh, during the time of slavery in the United States, and you had people who were saying it'll never be outlawed, um, we'll always have slavery, and you had the abolitionists and others who were saying, no, it must be outlawed, I'd be willing to bet that you and I, Jory, would be working together to outlaw slavery. I don't think that you would be neutral there and say, well, it'll never be outlawed, so why fight a losing battle? Imagine if the Christians during a time of slavery talked like you. Imagine if they did. Do you think slavery would have been abolished because Christians abolished it? I wonder. Well, I'm sorry, but just because we can't, I mean, even so, obviously abortion isn't considered murder legally right now. We're working towards that. Um, and that's a real goal of ours. But just because people are going to continue to murder, do we just give up on that law? Yeah. Like, we just give up on upholding any kind, any sort of law just because people will remain sinful? The mafia is always going to own Vegas. <laughs> right. So why bother trying to get them out? That, that logic makes no <laughs> sense. It, yeah. it makes no sense. Right. Exactly. So she can believe it, but just keep in mind, she says it's an I don't believe, I believe statement. It's her personal opinion. Right. And, and, and it the, also makes no sense. In the words of the Chocolate Knox, who we met uh, in Moscow and did Cross Politics show, I'm glad I'm not a slave and they're talking like that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was just gonna say, in regards back up to the regards to her first point, I think I think she's probably right and doesn't realize it. If uh, females were quote unquote uh, treated with equality, um, meaning the mothers were treated as murderers, there would be less abortions. Right. Because if a dude did that, he might be going to jail. But if it's a mother. She's not going to jail. She's not a murderer. Well, and if uh, baby women had the same rights as adult women, that is that does that constitute gender equality? <laughs> yeah, I, got I mean, I don't like. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. In regards to her second point, Proverbs twenty four would be the answer to her question: Why fight? Because Scripture says to rescue those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. God led to the slaughter. So. God commands us to Jory. Proverbs twenty four, starting right. verse ten. Uh, number four. I believe the Christian pro-life movement is doing... Wait, can we do the number, the third one, the, her, the third point of her gender equality Oh, I missed thing? it. Oh, sorry. I, I, why did I miss that? Okay, number three. Even if abortion was outlawed, women will still get them at the same rate and die from procedures gone wrong, and so will their babies. Okay. I would have to say that the punishment for murder is death. Mm-hmm. So if you die while murdering someone... Okay. Consequence. Um, also... I should have to say that I don't want women to die in back alley abortions. I want all abortions to stop, and that means babies and women stop dying from abortions. If they, if, if women stop having abortions, mm-hmm. no women die from abortions, and no babies die from abortions. Right. A- abortion and rape and murder, they belong in the back alleys. Right. That's right. <laughs> Not in the public square. That's right. That's right. Not protected and, by law. Yeah. And, and, and exactly. If you, if you want to say that we should have the protection of law, 
uh, for women who are just going to kill their babies anyway, I would say be consistent with that. Now let's start legislating for safe and legal circumstances for bank robbery. Because people are going to get hurt doing it, and they're going to do it anyway. For murder in general. Take those safe spaces that we have in college campuses, and you can just murder people in those now. Right. Shoot. It's okay. The Nazis were going to murder the Jews anyway, so why not we just regulate that? Right. So you see the point, Jory? You can't hold to these these, uh, positions in a consistent manner. When you say things like that, look, they're going to murder their babies anyways, and so let's just keep it legal. Don't you see the problem with that? You don't act like you believe this in any other part of your life. You don't want to make safe and legal circumstances for thieves. You don't want to make safe and legal circumstances for rapists. You don't want to make safe and legal circumstances for child molesters. Because let me ask you a question. Is child molestation illegal? Yes. Are people still molesting children? (laughs) Yes. Do you want to now release those restrictions because they're doing it anyway? You see the point? Jory, you don't believe what you're writing. Respectfully, you just don't. These are very, very poor arguments. And I'm going to say, bottom line, they're not Christian arguments. You're not operating from Scripture here. How about euthanasia? There you go. That's illegal. Should we regulate it because people are going to do it anyways? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's one of the things I was going to bring up is her arguments sound a lot like the ones we hear from feminists outside of the the abortion clinics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They say the same things. So I think that's good to stop with right there. I think that's a, unless, uh, Joel, you saw anything else in here you wanted to... Well, I just want to say that um, there's another... uh, Something that she says that's kind of, you realize, once you get to the end of her article, you realize it's sort of floating all throughout the article. She ends her article by saying, laws can never bring about redemption. If we are truly pro-life, may we focus our efforts on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gender equality and freedom that he offers women and baby girls inside and outside of the womb. Um, so she, multiple times you'll realize that she mentions, uh, she well, she goes back and forth on whether humans are meant to make Jesus more palatable versus whether God changes hearts. She kind of goes back and forth on that, and then she says multiple times that we can't really regulate something like this. That kind of appears to be a, her opinion. Um I would just say uh, shame on anyone who is blurring the line of shame and guilt. Um, I absolutely agree that, like I said earlier, that Jesus didn't shame women for being women just because of their chromosomes. Um, But being guilty under God's law Mm -hmm. and God's law are a real thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you're not guilty under God's law and you can't be guilty under God's law, then the gospel isn't real right? and no one can be saved. So good luck preaching the gospel if you can't be guilty under God's law. I was going to say, does it, is it possible to say that the gospel brings shame? And that's just what I mean. That's what I'm saying is that there's, let's stop having guilt, shame, like, and, and I understand that like this blog is a great representation of the type of world that we live in. There's a lot of situational things that she's speaking to in here. There are plenty of situations where shame is the appropriate word. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of situations where guilt is the appropriate yeah. word. But the point is, if you commit murder, according to the Bible, you are guilty under God's law and actually under our law yeah. of the United States, yeah. as it would happen. Um, and... God's law is a real thing. If you feel guilty under it, that's appropriate. 
and that's how it was all designed to work out. Um, if you are against God's law and you don't believe that it's real and you don't believe that it's conducive for anything, then you no longer have the gospel that you're so fond of saying that we need to preach to women. Right. So somewhere here, the argument is not fitting. Right. And you need God's law. I'm not saying that you need to shame, you should shame women because they're women, but you should call out women's sin when you see them doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, You should do it in a loving way. I agree with you. I don't think we agree, Jory, on what loving looks like. I personally believe that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to tell someone a very hard thing. Um, But sometimes the best place you can be is feeling guilty under God's law. As a matter of fact, and we'll end on this, um, there is no gospel without right. a knowledge of our sin and shame. Right. So when you talk about we just need to give them the gospel, that means tell them about their sin so that they climb to Jesus. Right. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. without feeling guilty under God's law, good luck preaching the gospel because it doesn't exist. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly the point. And so what that means is, uh, Jory, you have um, an interesting perspective on what the gospel is. And I'm saying interesting in a very respectful way. What I'm saying is, if you're trying to remove guilt and shame and the law of God from the conversation, then what's the point of Jesus? By the way, when you say gospel, I assume you mean you're talking about the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Why did Jesus get the death penalty? Because we deserve to die for what? Our sin. That's the truth. And that's what needs to be talked about when you talk about the gospel. So be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. For 21 years and counting, New St. Andrews College has sought to obey Christ's great commission to disciple nations and build him a house, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout the world. Not with stones and mortar, but with living stones. We build and fight. This is the task of a Christian liberal arts college, to equip students with the tools to build and fight. And this is our joyful task as we seek to graduate leaders who shape culture through wise and victorious living. To learn more, check us out online at nsa.edu forward slash explore. We brought up Milo Yiannopoulos at the beginning of the episode. Interesting. We actually had a plan to have Milo on. Don't know how or if that would take place at this point. Uh, But this just came up this week. I'm going to go ahead and play it. I want to make sure you guys uh, have earmuffs ready for your children. Don't listen to this with children in the room. Uh, I want you to be able to hear what was said so you know where all the hubbub was uh, from. And what was it about? What it, what it was about? And so here we go. Well, now let me do this first. Let me set, let me set it up this way, differently. I'm going to play for you Milo Yiannopoulos on the issue of abortion. That'll work better. That way you understand how in the world would anybody have even accepted that an open, professing homosexual would be a leader of a conservative movement. So when you hear this, you'll understand why. Here we go. This is Milo on abortion on Joe Rogan's podcast. 
uh, Catholic University, which has some of the most enthusiastic abortion advocates on campus anywhere in America. I heard, and I don't know if this is true. That enthusiastic the, the, abortion? No, they do. It's the, one of the most left-wing places in the world. <clears throat> that's the, a the, funny expression. Enthusiastic abortion advocates. Oh, they love abortions. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not joking. I'm, this, isn't, <clears throat> this isn't just me. They go like, you know, is it Lindy West, the Guardian? Yeah. She's like, you know, shout your abortion. It was, a, it was a feminist hashtag. It trended. They're proud of it. They're proud of murdering babies. They are perfectly happy to talk about it. They think it's a mark of pride. Like, I'm not, I don't make this stuff up. I just laugh along with everybody else. You know, hmm. I didn't invent this. They love abortions. It's like it's like a badge of honor. It's like scout badges. You know, like how many have you had, sister? Like, I'm serious. These people are insane. I'm I'm a favor of abortion as long as you can't tell what it looks like. <laughs> as soon to, as it starts looking. Me, by the way, please, somebody, I would love to have a conversation with Joe, Joe Rogan. Rogan. Yeah. Please, yeah. if you can tweet that, Facebook it, whatever you can do to ha- to say let's let's have Joe Rogan on Apologia Radio, or I'll come on Joe Rogan's podcast. And let's have a discussion about the existence of God, about morality in God, about abortion. And martial arts. And martial arts. Yeah, I'm a martial artist. You're a martial artist. We'll have a good time, Joe. So, guys, make that happen. That would be fantastic. You're trying to shock me, and I am unshockable. As soon as it starts looking... I mean, I'm I'm never... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, not a person that would ever step in and say you can and can't do anything with your body as long as the baby's in the woman's body technically no it's, no, uh, no we differ on that one we differ on that one well at because, what, because at what somebody age? else well I, I'm do hard, you think there's a I'm difference hard, I'm hard line on this you're hard line yeah because so you're, 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 I mean, you're, you're saying you can't tell anybody what they can and can't do with their body well it isn't just about the woman's body once she becomes pregnant she's responsible for another body another soul another human being and let's right. not get into the soul thing because we had a very ugly, a very unproductive conversation about that last time but but just you know this is another human being and that woman right. has sole custody if you like and and so if it's control. a cluster of cells if it's like literally four or five cells and um, just I, get look, joe rogan's revealing his respectfully ignorance. his ignorance <laughs> on that point but yeah doubt stop it what do we do there stop it is that okay stop it you just look as a gay person i have to be against abortion because as soon as they start working out what the gay gene whatever is it you know mm. it's us that are going to get chopped so that was Milo. That was Milo. And you hear him talking on abortion. He calls it murder. He says from conception. And as the interview goes on, go check it out on YouTube. Milo on abortion, Joe Rogan. You guys will, I think, uh, really enjoy the conversation. Um, so th- this came up this past week. Uh, this was the discussion that uh, Milo had on, I- and I think it was an atheist show. Um, I- I'm pretty sure it's an atheist podcast or the Drunken Peasants, or at least yeah, they probably behave like (laughs) i don't know they look familiar to me so uh this is on the drunken peasants and um milo yiannopoulos talking about it's okay um for an older man to be in a relationship with a younger boy um and so the conversation surrounding pedophilia here we go milo is arbitrary let him talk oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm just gonna i'll be quick this arbitrary and oppressive idea of consent, which totally destroys, you know, um, the you know understanding that many of us have of the complexities and subtleties and complicated nature of many relationships. You know, people are messy and complex, and actually, in in, in a homosexual world, particularly, some of those relationships between younger boys and older men, the sort of coming of age relationships, the relationships in which those older men ha- help those young boys to discover who they are and give them security and safety and provide them with love and and uh, um, and uh, and a reliable uh, and sort of a rock where they can't speak to their parents. Some of those relationships are it some like of the most... sounds like to me. 
It, it sounds yeah, well, like you know what. It you sounds what? like I'm Catholic priest molestation to me. And you know what? I'm grateful for Father Michael. I wouldn't give nearly such good hair if it wasn't for him. Um, oh my you know, look, god! Oh funny. my god! I can't handle it's it. It's funny because what is I, wrong with you, Ben? Ben gave on. me some homework <laughs> on you, Milo. He gave me a few videos to watch to brush up on my on my Miloisms. And one of the things that you said in one of these clips was that transgenderism is the new, you know, frontier of 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 uh, you know rights. Uh, I, my wording is bad here, but um, you know, it's the new frontier of social of social progress. And the next thing in line is going to be pedophilia. And yet here you are talking about how look, you know, some of these kids that get diddled by these priests. I mean, it's a good thing for them. They're getting this love, and now they are also getting no, no, no. You're misunderstanding what pedophilia means. Um, pedophilia is not a sexual attraction to somebody 13 years old who is sexually mature. Pedophilia okay. is attraction to, to children, to children oh, who have not reached puberty. Pedophilia is attraction to people who don't have functioning sex organs yet, who have not gone through puberty, who are too young to be able to understand culture. the way their bodies are. That is not what we're talking about. And culture? Um, sure. So, Granted. You don't understand what pedophilia is if you think that I'm defending it, because I'm certain. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not saying you're defending it. I'm saying you're walking well, you the borderline. You're, no, you're that's not what you said. You said I was defending you, okay, it. And you were okay, okay, fine. I, I retract my statement, Milo. I retract my statement. I, I shan't slander you further. But you are you are advocating for cross generational relationships here. Can we can we be honest about that? Yeah, I don't mind saying I don't mind admitting that, and I think particularly in the gay oh. world and outside the Catholic Church, if that's where some of you want to go with this, I think in the gay world, some of the most important, enriching, and incredibly um, you know life affirming, important uh, shaping relationships, very often between uh, younger boys and older men, can they can be hugely positive experiences for those young boys. They can you even know, um, save those young boys from desolation, I've, uh, from suicide, from consensual. Drug hold, hold on. <laughs> So there you go. That was the thing that uh, sent it spinning. And so uh, Milo actually had uh, a book contract. He hadn't even finished the book yet. And uh, Har- well, who was it? Simon & Schuster? Yep. S- Simon & Schuster had, had signed him for a book contract. And um, I think he sold like half a million copies, I believe. It was ridiculous. Like, like somewhere around the neighborhood of a half a million copies uh, or dollars i don't know it was a lot he just did really well before he even he's even produced the book well when this came out it was within i think 24 hours that simon and schuster dropped him and then i think it was two days later that he resigned from breitbart uh and so this is uh, i'm gonna go ahead and play this clip here uh, uh milo actually came out and did a uh public news conference on his comments this is milo i'm a gay man and a child abuse victim Between the ages of 13 and 16, two men touched me in ways they should not have. One of those men was a priest. My relationship with my abusers is complicated by the fact that at the time, I didn't perceive what was happening as abusive. But I can look back now and see that it was. I still don't view myself as a victim, but clearly I am one. Looking back, I see the effects that this had on me. In the years after what happened, I fell into alcohol and nihilistic partying. It lasted well into my 20s. A few years ago, I realized it was time to do something good with my life. I started focusing on work, but the black comedy, the gallows humor, and the love of shock value I developed in my 20s never really went away. 
I've reviewed the, the tapes that appeared a few days ago in the proper context, and I don't believe that they say what is being reported. Nonetheless, I do say some things on the tapes that I do not mean, and which do not reflect my views. My experiences as a victim led me to believe that I could say almost anything on this subject, no matter how outrageous. But I understand that my usual blend of sassy, gay British sarcasm, provocation, and gallows humor might have come across as flippancy, a lack of care for other victims, or even worse, as seems to have been the case in reports, advocacy. I'm horrified by that impression. I would like to restate my disgust at adults who sexually abuse minors. I'm horrified by pedophilia, and I have de devoted large portions of my career to exposing child abusers. I've exposed three of them in my reporting, which is three more than most of my critics. So there you go. That was his uh, press conference on uh, the subject, and I wanted to talk about it for a minute. I want to say first and foremost, and then once you guys to join in here, uh, that our, our hope is, and we wanted to do a, an interview with Milo, because we, we, we want to tell him how much we appreciate some of the amazing things that he said about Christianity and Christians. We appreciate the fact that he takes a stand for life, and he calls abortion what many Christians don't, murder. Mm, right. He calls abortion what Jory Micah apparently won't call abortion, right. which is deplorable, um, and he calls it murder. And so I want to say how much we appreciated that. And, we, and you know, I wanted to have him on because uh, in the end, we wanted to communicate to him the love of God and the forgiveness that he can have in Christ. I like him. Uh, yeah. Like we, Hitchens, right? Yeah, like Hitchens. We wanted to tell him, look, it's not about you not, it's not about you turning to Jesus to be straight. It's about you turning from all your sin to Christ to be forgiven and saved and, let, and God will sanctify you and make you like Christ. Sexuality gets healed as you grow in Jesus. Whether it's heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, that gets healed as you walk with Jesus. That's what he does with us, all of us. And so we wanted to communicate it to him. And so that's what we wanted to do. And you know, I still, I still would like to do that. I still like to talk to Milo about Jesus and uh, to talk to him and tell him how much we appreciate some of the amazing things that he said that are very, very important. And um, that's how I feel. So <laughs> we could say a whole lot on this. Uh, we can do a whole show on this, but two, well, three things quickly. Uh, one, it seems like every time we've had a conversation with someone who who's homosexual or an atheist, whatever, it always comes back to something like that. Well, they were abused at some point, which is a whole nother discussion. But um, two, um, <clears throat> as far as, as far as the media goes and, and the culture in general, like nobody had any issues with his blatant homosexuality. But as soon as he <laughs> says something about pedophilia, and like even seems to be okay for it, then everybody freaks out and he gets dropped and all this stuff. Very subjective. Uh, and then where's your standard? Right. And then third, <clears throat> excuse me. This just, just the, the church in general. I've noticed a lot of Christians. I think have even been like, oh, I really like Milo, you know, because he says so many good things and he stands for what we believe, other than homosexuality. But then again, the pedophilia thing comes out, and even people in the church are like freaking out. And, you know, don't like you say his name and that's a sin almost like it's and I'm like going to the Christians. What what's the difference? Right. What do you, what do you what, guys? What's the difference? Where's your standard, guys? Yeah. Yeah. So and it's it's interesting on both both sides, the subjectivism on both sides of the of the aisle. Go ahead. I'm just I'm kind of confused as to why people are freaking out. I understand this, the subject matter is something to freak out about. But right. does his apology not? kind of clear up 
No. Do people not believe him? Do I don't. Not. Can I say? Can I say why? Yeah, of course. Okay. No, and I, it's an honest question. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just saying, like. Yeah. Um. In the in the video, he makes a different different. He makes differentiation. He, a different, yeah, he that, differentiates. Yep. He does that, and uh, between pederasty and pedophilia, and so he makes a distinction between prepubescent and older men who uh, who. He does that in the original video. In the original video, he he makes the distinction. He says, "I'm not talking about pedophilia," and he refers to pedophilia. He defines pedophilia as uh, boys who are not sexually prepubescent. Right. Yeah, pre I understand that, but did he did he not address that in his the apology that he recently? I I don't I don't think that the apology was uh, clear enough uh, because he he said that he was accused of saying things. That he didn't he didn't mean, which would be the pedophilia line, and then uh, so all the news reports are coming out saying that he defends pedophilia, and he's saying that he doesn't. But there was never really uh, a, a really direct and clear. Uh, well, he said that he he did say that he felt like he could joke about it because he was a victim of it. Right. He was a victim of being post. He was pubescent. Right. When he was abused. Right. So I would say, but he he defines that as abuse in his apology. So right, right, but he, he but he was talking about consensual, though. Can I, can right. I say something? I actually think that over the last couple of days, um, it let's uh, in, in in light let's <coughs> let's give him the grace to say he's being genuine when right. he gives the apology. In light of that, I think that if that's all true, if this is genuine remorse and all the rest, I think over the last couple of days he has had to do some soul searching about yeah. what actually happened to him. Yes. Because right. when he's on Joe Rogan's podcast, he said the same exact comments right. that he said on this other one. Right. Uh, and no one no one said a word to him about right. it. Been, that's been up for a long right. time, and no one said a word about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that he's done some soul searching here, and maybe he's actually stopped and, and thought about what happened to him, and he's like, no, that really, yeah, maybe that was actual abuse. Yeah, right. maybe that was wrong. So I think maybe there's been even some, some healthy change in his own thinking about what happened to him. And Luke brings up a good point. And George, how do you say his last name? Takai. Takai yeah. says the same thing in his experience. Right. He says he was at a summer camp in California. He was 13 and his camp counselor that was 19 sexually abused him. And he said um, in that, that he wasn't actually gay right. when that took place, but now he is. Right. So you look at like Milo's experience, you look at his experience and you do see that when these children are abused by men, that oftentimes impacts their their sexual identity. Well, and though. isn't that the thing? Isn't that I'm not and I'm I'm against it. In of case course. any of you guys were wondering, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, I'm against it. Um, but that's that's kind of I guess that was the point of my question is like, isn't isn't that isn't this all kind of tied up in like the weird sexualization of kids anyway? Like talking to them about if they're gay or they're not. Like, does a 13 year old need to be wondering if they're gay? You know, like, I don't, I understand, like, changes are happening or whatever. Right. But, like, we don't, the point is, is if they're not consenting, like, we should be teaching them a biblical view mm -hmm. of sex. Yep. Yep. And, and, and anything this, else? Yeah. I mean, like, and anything else would be, it's, like, it's wrong. It's, and it's, it's not new. It's not a new thing. There, and there are hetero, it, ha it happens with, 
a man and a girl. Yes. And the girl thinks she's consenting or she thinks she loves, but there's like a confusion. There's the girl's young and naive. Like Mm -hmm. the point is, is that it doesn't always, of course it looks very different when it's prepubescent, Mm -hmm. but like it's still abuse. Of course that's, that's not even necessarily the issue, but because we have blurred this weird line with Mm -hmm. sexuality, there are people, plenty of people that think I, people who are, acting shocked that Milo would say that mm-hmm. people who think that 14 year olds can cons- have consensual sex with another 14 year old, even mm-hmm. that's technically not legal. Right. And it's not right. We would say it's not right. Cause they're not married even, right. That's right. you know? And so what I'm saying is like, because we have this just because of the sexuality of it in yep. general. Yep. And, and that, that gets to, I guess a good final point. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about this. What's interesting in this whole thing is that, before this bomb dropped in Milo's life this week, um, Milo was defending a lot of things in a very healthy way. He obviously was obscene at times, and and there's times where you say you can't even listen to him because it gets disgusting. Yeah. Um, but he's been professing, I'm a homosexual for the longest time, and he brags about what he does sexually with other men. Now... What's interesting to me is that the conservative media has adopted Milo and said, like, you're our representative. We'll give all these all this sexual stuff a pass. But then mm-hmm. this comes out and they're like, oh, but not pedophilia. It's like, guys, um, he was into sodomy the whole time. Right? right? We took right. the cookie. He was into sodomy the whole time and he bragged about it. What you ought to do as a Christian is say, hey, we'd love you and we'd love some of the things you're saying, but hey, let's talk about this homosexuality. Because you know, Milo actually is on record saying that if he could not be gay, he would want to take that path. He yeah. said if there's something he could do to pray the gay the way, he wants to because he knows it's a sin and he knows that God is angry with it. And he says, you know, I, he's like, I kind of want some help here. He said that publicly. I kind of right. want some help here, guys. I'm sure that there's Christians that have been faithful in his life and have said to him, hey, Milo, I want you to know Jesus. But you know what we should have been doing the whole time? is not placating to Milo saying, oh, it's no big deal, it's your homosexuality, as long as you stand up for these conservative causes. That is highlighting politics to the status of the gospel. And it's not right. It should be about the gospel the whole time. It doesn't mean you can ignore, you have to ignore the good things. You can say, those are great, Milo, but you need to know Jesus. Mm. You need to turn away from this stuff. God will heal you. God will save you. But it's just hypocrisy to me that the conservative media and all these organizations have been like, Milo, not not the pedophilia. Right. The gay stuff, we're fine with. What it means is, like Marcus said, is that we bought the cookie. We took it. We'll take that. Right. The gay lobby and all these organizations said, you need to have this as accepti- acceptable in your society. You need to, you need to what Ben said today, I love what he said, you need to light a candle to this gay couple in your, in your TV right. show. You need to pay homage, do homage in all these ways. And we bought it. It displays that we bought it. The conservative organizations have just said, yeah, homosexuality, uh, no big deal. Milo can be our hero. But as soon as you get here into this perversion, like, but not that perversion, I want to know how long is that going to take? Mm-hmm. If we keep going on the path we're going, how long is it going to take before we finally get to the point where being mm-hmm. a pedophile, professing pedophile, is acceptable as a conservative position? Well, that's what I mean. That's my point. Yeah. Is that there's plenty of people without even realizing it, they already believe that it's okay yeah. in some degree. There's already people that are letting their kids sleep with one another. Yes. There's... People that are allowing 20-year-olds and 15-year-olds to be together. You know, it's already happening, and yet it's so shocking just because 
Milo said it, and he's shocking. And you know I th- who I think is the most happy about this news? Who? The gay community. Oh. They hate him. Well, yeah, anyone who hates Milo. And that's I'm sure that's why this stuff was all dug up. Yeah. Because people don't. They want to take him people down. People have been trying to take Milo down. Milo, if you ever listen to this, we love you. We want you to, to know Jesus. We want to have you on the show. Right. We are already scheduled. Are already scheduled to have you on. We still want you on. We want to share the love of God with you. Tell you about the hope that's in Jesus. And so we want you to know that from the bottom of our hearts, we care about you. And uh, yeah, so that's another episode of Apologia Radio. That's Joy the Girl. Yeah. Luke the Bear. He's Zach out. Attack. Hey guys. Marcus King Ginger. All right, man. I wish I were high on Pot News. <laughs> <laughs> pot News Pilot. Pot News. Pot News Pilot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Don't forget to sign up for All Access. When you do, guys, you partner with our church. You help make everything possible. We love you guys, and we're grateful for you. Thank you. Hey, guys, don't fast forward through this commercial. Important message for you guys. We're meeting at a new location for Apologia Church worship services. I'm Jeff Durbin, pastor at Apologia Church. Join us for worship 4 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, we are a family integrated church. Sorry, do I introduce myself? They yeah, don't you know can who say joy. I am. Yeah, you can say joy. I don't. He can this cut is this, for so church, just talk though. About. Yeah. But what do I do at the church? They're going to be like, that's one of those churches that has a lady pastor. I, I want to keep this as a, as a part of the commercial. Yeah. I want you to leave this. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> uh, this is Luke the Bear, discipleship pastor at Apologia Church. And the new location we're meeting at, like Jeff said, it's the Tempe Vineyard Church. I think you said it was the Tempe Vineyard Church. No, I didn't. You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> you just did. The address okay. is 1805 East Elliott Road, number 112, Tempe, Arizona, 85284. That is on the southeast corner of McClintock and Elliott. Bring your wives, bring your kids, and bring your husbands too, because we're teaching everybody up in here. Bring your beards if you got them. Or no. It's up to you. I'll have mine. All right, guys. That's our new commercial. I think it's professional. <laughs> we'll see you at Apologia Church. Join us for worship. ApologiaChurch.com. <laughs> <laughs>